You are listening to a sermon from Mission Point St. John. We hope this message encourages a deeper connection between you and Jesus, our Savior. here like to fly? How many here like to fly since the pandemic? Have you been in an airport since that's happened? You know, you talk to different people about flying and you hear a, a bunch of different opinions. Personally, I've, I've flown quite a bit for business and pleasure. And although it's convenient and although it's necessary at times, it's becoming less convenient. And I'm feeling like it's less necessary. Uh, There are lots of pieces and parts of flying that have started to annoy me. I just want to share some of those with you this morning. The airport, for one. Has anybody been at Pearson Airport in Toronto for a layover in the last few months? Lord Jesus, I need you. I know what it's like to lean my head up against a concrete wall and try to get sleep. For a delayed flight over 16 hours and no hotel rooms to be seen for less than $350. A Motel 6, that was. So we decided to make the concrete wall our pillow. I'll tell you, they, they, they say be at the airport two to three hours, depending on your flight, prior to its departure. And, uh, and so you make your way there and your flight is conveniently delayed or postponed till the next day. So you spend the next number of hours or even a day or an evening waiting at your gate if you're lucky. I I had walked out of that and couldn't get back to my gate because my flight was the next day. Um, And and truthfully, my wife was more patient than I. And uh, anyways, you you know, you you, you sit there at your gate and, and you're getting more and more frustrated and you're stir crazy. And so you make numerous trips to the washroom, not because you have to use it, just because it's something to do. And really, um, you randomly wa- you know, wander through airport gift shops, and once you've done that two or three times, you finally give in and spend 5 or $6 on a bottle of Coke and $4 on a, on a bag of chips. And if you, if you spring for a neck pillow or something, you've got to take out a small mortgage. Um, it's not fun. There's nothing fun about being in the airport that long. Your only relief, really, is, is waiting and the humor you get watching people and what they choose to wear when they fly. Somebody explain to me why you would wear your pajamas on a flight to the West Coast. Like it's a new meaning to comfortable, like let's just wear these pajamas to the airport. I don't understand it. Then all this time, you know, finally it's, it's passed and they say now boarding flight 1234 service to Boston. All passengers seated in section 1, please come to the desk in front of the breezeway. And you watch as every single person who's on that flight rushes towards this desk. Everybody's sitting in section 1. Um, and then nobody understands the concept of a carry-on anymore. Folks, if you can't carry it, And if you can't pull it along without some significant effort, it's not a carry-on. So, of course, you've packed a carry-on, and and you get to your seat, and there's no room in the the overhead cabinets because people have decided to put half of their belongings in there. 
become very frustrating. And isn't it so comforting when the stewardess gets over the intercom? And she begins to let you know that the seat cushion that you're sitting on can be used for a flotation device if you fall 20,000 feet. I, I was comforted because I didn't know I'd be alive. But I've got a seat cushion. Don't even get me started on the peanuts and pretzels. You're lucky if you can get a bag of both. But you know what never loses its thrill? Is when you take off and you accelerate through the air and you watch through that little porthole window as everything gets smaller and smaller. There's a, you know, for me, there's a feeling of escape as I glide away from the Earth's surface and I peer out this window and I watch the houses become smaller and smaller and I watch these houses become you know, large clusters of small squares, and then just moments later, you can see the outline of a city. And for a few moments, everything seems so insignificant. You're bigger than the world that you live in. But nothing's changed. Still have that irritating boss. Still live down in that, you know, live in that rundown area of of town, you still have that same teacher, you're still part of a dysfunctional family. Family, the only thing that changes in that moment, Brother Donnie, it's your perspective. The only thing that's changed. It's a different point of view. How many, how many have ever heard the phrase, you can't see the forest for the trees? You ever heard that? Nobody. Okay, let me explain it to you. <laughs> This, this, this saying, this age-old saying, paints a perfect picture today and for us this morning. It's a phrase that can, it suggests that you can be so close to something that you lose perspective. You can be so close to something that you under, don't understand its surroundings. You've lost perspective. And oftentimes in, in business and in school, you know, people fail to step back and see the big picture. My aim this morning is to help somebody see and change their perspective. Somebody to change their perspective. David said this. He said, oh, magnify the Lord with me. Donnie, you opened the service and you said, we're here to magnify. We're here to extol. We're here to exalt. And what David was saying is what we're here to do is make God bigger. How many remember as a child using a magnifying glass? Maybe to burn an ant, I don't know. A couple people here. The purpose of that is to you know, really expand and focus on what you're looking at. And, and I choose to believe that what David was saying is, God, if we magnify you enough, if I draw close enough to you, Brother Donnie, come here for a second. If I draw close enough to Donnie, aside from the fact he's a little shorter than me, I would not be able to see anything but Donnie. Do you hear what I'm saying this morning? If you get close enough to God, if you magnify God in your life, you will have a difficult time being distracted from the things around you because you're so close to Him. You've magnified Him. You've exalted Him. You've enlarged Him in your life. David said, magnify the Lord with me. So we want to change this morning. Change is all around us. Change is in our schools. It's in our places of employment. 
God knows it's in our government and we need more. It's in our, that's as political as I'll get. Uh, and our homes, we have change in our homes, change in cities. You know, we see change in cities, in provinces, countries, and around the globe. There are changes in technology, changes in philosophy. There's a changing of the guards, a changing of the tide, and a changing of your mind. There's change agents and change management. Buildings undergo structural change, and companies implement organizational change. Workplaces make cultural change, and people this morning can take on transformational change. We can take on transformational change. And as we look back over the ages of time, we see changes. And oftentimes, when I'm in business and, and you know, people, you know, humans, I think, generally just oppose change. It's in our nature. We're uncomfortable with change. Uh, but I'd like you to consider this this morning. If you can throw up that slide. The first production of the Model T Ford was in 1909. Anybody remember that? Just kidding. Um, for $825, you could buy a brand new vehicle. Of course, you could run faster than it, but um, in that first year of production, Henry Ford sold over 10 thousand automobiles. Mr. Ford was often quoted saying, I will build a motor car for the great multitude. Can anyone imagine multitudes of people driving around this in 2022? Because you can get up to speeds of 35 miles an hour, about 55 kilometers an hour. But today, you can get yourself a brand new Cadillac Escalade for only $100,000. 105, I just, I, I, I rounded down. Still has its same effect, I think. It, it has a 403 horsepower engine, all-wheel drive. Its top speed is 160 miles per hour, and over 20,000 of these sold most years. Let's look at the neck. What about postal service? If you lived during the 1700s, oh, and you wanted to send a message to family member, Someone would ride on horseback and pass it off every nine miles. This was referred to as, somebody? Snail mail or the Pony Express, that's right. Sending a message a long distance could take weeks, even months to arrive at its final destination. But today, you can pick up your smartphone. And you can get on your computer, you can send a message to people hundreds of thousands of miles away, and they can receive it in a matter of seconds. Not only that, but they had the convenience of knowing whether you opened it and read it. You can turn that off, by the way. Folks, change is a reality. Change is going to happen whether you like it or not. Things change every day, every week, every year, every decade. They will continue to change. Sometimes things change by accident, you know, the result of a, of a poor decision. But mostly, the frequency of change is explained by the ongoing desire and determination of mankind to improve. Let me say that again. Mostly, change is explained by the ongoing desire and determination for us to improve. To improve our situation, to improve our circumstances, to improve our environment, to improve ourselves. And that's why we're here today, isn't it? When you strip it all down, 
You haven't come to church because you enjoy wearing a tie. Okay, I'm speaking for myself. Um, I don't like choking myself. We've come here for one reason, and that's to experience change. When I really consider why I'm here today, it's because I need to change. I need a closer walk with him. I need a closer relationship with God. I need his spirit to lead me. I need his spirit to guide me. I need to change. I don't care if you've been here six days, six months, six years, or 60 years. You still need change. My friend, if you're here today and you're not considering a change, that's a dangerous place to be. Complacency. If in your walk with God you ever find yourself stagnant, comfortable with where you are, You've become complacent. You need to take inventory of what's in your life and realize that it's only by His grace that we're saved and we need to change. In Revelation chapter 3, verse 16 and 17, it says this, So then because thou art lukewarm, neither cold nor hot, I will spew you out of my mouth. Because you sayest, I am rich and increased with goods, I have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. I never want to find myself in a place of contentment or complacency of where I am today. I never want to find myself, God, in a place where I feel like I am or I don't realize I'm blind to my reality. I need to change. I believe that passage in Revelation goes on to say that God instructed them to buy from him gold tried in fire. I don't want to be fool's gold. I don't want to be fake. I want to be the real deal. When people look at me, I want them to see Jesus. So I need to find an altar in my life. I need to find an altar in my life and pour out to God and allow him to cleanse me and prepare me for change. The Bible says that he's the potter. He is the potter. I'm the clay. I'm forever, forever, forever on that potter's wheel. Search me, God. Find if there's any wicked way on me. Place me on that potter's wheel again, and if there's any sharp edges, if there's, if there's anything that doesn't belong, God, just, just, you know, just start to move me and change me and chisel off those areas, God. Smooth out those rough edges. As I mentioned before, it doesn't matter how long you've been in the church. It doesn't matter how long you've had a relationship with God. It doesn't matter if you're an usher or you're a Sunday school teacher. It doesn't matter if you preach on Sunday or lead a small group midweek. It doesn't matter if you greet at the door or drive the church van, whether you're working in the youth or you take care of church maintenance. It doesn't matter who or where or what you're doing. We all must change. Every member in the body of Christ must change to strengthen themselves. We must, we must build our spiritual muscles, so to speak. We have to continue to change. Why don't you turn to your neighbor this morning and say, I have to change. Oh, come on, say it with some conviction now. Maybe you've heard this before. If you always do what you've always done, you'll always get what you always got. There's a message in that. You know, change is easy to think about, but executing change is a whole lot different. 
And in order to execute change, you have to first understand it, think about it, believe in it, and then take action. A recent study on the success failure rates of change was conducted in North America. They studied a number of different organizations and companies on their attempts to make change. And the results for me were absolutely shocking. The study concluded that 70 to 80% of organizational, cultural, and transformational change fails. 70 to 80%. And when I, when I first read these findings, I was surprised to see such a high failure rate, but it made more sense as I continued to read on. You see, the intent to change is always for improvement. Nobody intends to change for the worst. Nobody intends to change to make your situation worse than it is today. Organization, organizations, they don't make change on a whim. You know, I just had a feeling. Let's change. Oftentimes, they spent months or years analyzing and performing studies and gathering information, participating in think groups and round tables that will allow them to come to an informed decision to change. They put in place calculated plans to execute the change because they believe in it, and yet more times than not, seven times out of ten, the change fails. The study concluded that the ultimate success of any change does not lie in the plan to change, but rather the ability of any one person or group to execute the change. It doesn't rely on whether or not you believe in it. It doesn't even rely on the fact that you feel good about it or you plan to do it. It relies, the success of it relies on whether or not you're able to execute change. What they found is that individual or individuals responsible for making the change must first think differently and act differently. I want to spend the next few minutes talking about those two things. If you want change in your life this morning, you must first think differently and then you must act differently. And they concluded that the failure to do either one of these two things for making change will result in change failure. And this rings true in our relationship with God, doesn't it? Our responsibility as part of the body of Christ. It's, you know, we've been provided with the perfect proposal for change. There's no flaw in it. It's timeless. It's founded upon the foundation of the earth. There is no flaw in this plan for change. We've been given this perfect proposal for change, the living word of God. We're left with the responsibility of executing that change. And folks, this is not a poor, poorly developed plan for change. God himself wrote the proposal, and there's no flaw in it, my friend. There's no flaw in it. The key is that the plan has to be executed properly. So we must learn to think differently. We have to learn to think differently. We must open our minds to the ways of God and not limit them to the ways of man. Why don't we go to Romans chapter 12, verse 2. The scripture says this, And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Be transformed by the renewing 
of your mind. We must be transformed in our minds. Our minds are a powerful, powerful part of our bodies, and ultimately it determines who we are. What we allow ourselves to think is what we will in turn become. We must seek insight into the Word of God, understanding that He wants certain things for our lives. Let me tell you that when you feel like you can change the world, when you feel like you can do great things and you can change the trajectory of your life, you know, that moment when you're feeling a great move of God and maybe it's at this altar and it's in your own personal prayer time and devotion time, it, it's, it is because God has spoke, you know, through a minister or through his word or a teacher and caused you to think differently. You're not held down by the very limited thinking of the human mind. But you're expanded to think about how God thinks about things. Your perspective has changed. And for those few moments you participate in that time with God, God's word has been opened to you in a way that confirms that you, you, can, you can recover from financial distress and you can you know, reunite with family that you've fallen out with or teach a Bible study or rekindle a marriage overcome addictions and minister to a brother or sister, maybe give sacrificially into the kingdom of God, gives you the idea that you can increase your faith, confirms that you can use to pray with others in the altar or sing in the choir. In that moment, God challenges your thinking. He says, this is what I see. This is what I see. At that moment, you believe you can do things and you accomplish things that you've never before thought of. Why? Because you're allowing God's word to speak. And in that moment, I can do great things because my faith is growing. I'm thinking differently. Not on my terms, but on God's terms. My Bible says in Proverbs, my favorite scripture, lean not unto thine own understanding, but in all thy ways. Acknowledge him. He'll direct your path. You know, I, I, I think I probably speak more for males than I do females, but we always feel like we got it figured out. And you said, Brother Donnie, that we need to strip down of the armor of God when we come into his presence and be vulnerable. And so maybe I'm speaking to the men just a little bit more than I am the women here, but we need to learn how to strip down the things that, are, you know, they, they get in the way of us drawing closer to God, for him to challenge our thinking, for him to challenge you know, that we've got everything under control and for him to show us that there's some things he can help us with if we would just let go. God knows more than I do. His ways are higher than ours. His thoughts are bigger than ours. He can do exceedingly, abundantly, above all. Can you think about this? All that we can ask or even think. There is no dream, vision, you know, anything you can think of that begins to even resemble the potential and the power of God in your life. Nothing you can think of. That's why we need his mind. Why am I going to live my life under the restraints and the limitations of the human mind, of what I can comprehend? God, I want your mind. I want your wisdom. I want your way of thinking. I want to see through your eyes. The Bible is a fantastic book. There have been more copies sold of the Bible than any other book in history, and no document has ever sparked more debate. It's more diverse with dozens of different authors and 
one enduring, lasting message. There's no contradiction in the Word of God. It's not just a book of romance and philosophy and hope, but it's God's holy Word. It's a book that has lasted through the ages of time. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 8 says, The grass withereth, the flower fadeth, but the Word of our God shall stand forever. Jeremiah chapter 15, verse 16 says, Thy words were found, and I did eat them. And thy word was unto me the joy and rejoicing of mine heart, for I am called by thy name, O Lord of hosts. I need to eat the book. I need to digest the book until it becomes one with my spirit. It's a must. It's not a want. It's a must. I have to do this. First Peter chapter 2, verse 2 says, As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that ye may grow thereby. We grow. We change. Why? Because we're open and understand the power and the truth and the promise in the Word of God. Every day, I have to resurrender. Every day, I have to resubmit. I have to realign my mind with the mind of God. And, you know, the, the emotions and everything that I feel, I have to align it with the purpose of God in my life. We have to think differently. If you're going to experience change in this place today, if you're ever going to experience change in your life, you must think differently. It doesn't stop there. If we only do that well, we fail 70 or 80% of the time. There's a story in the Bible of a rich young ruler who came to Jesus with a question. He asked Jesus, what do I need to do to have eternal life? And Jesus confirmed with that ruler that he was living a life that was in accordance with the commandments. And the ruler said, yes, I've, I've kept that from my youth. And then Jesus pointed out to the young man that he should sell all that he had and give it to the poor. And it was with that request of sacrifice that Jesus revealed the ruler's unwillingness to change. You see, the, the, the man, this rich young ruler, had the first part down. He was successful and he was somebody in this world, in this life, but he had understood that God comes first and I'm going to obey the commandments. And he had a desire to change, to be even more. He had the thinking part down, but then there was a problem. He was unwilling to act upon what was necessary to change. And today we acknowledge that although one should naturally flow into the other. There is a definite line of separation between understanding the need for change and acting on that change. There is a certain difference between those two things. Why is it that so many remain unchanged? Why is it that although people have every good intention to change, they fail to take the necessary steps? I'd like to take a, a look at the story, a story here in the book of John. If you can go to John chapter 5, we're going to read nine verses here, starting at verse 1. John chapter 5. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is at Jerusalem by the sheep market a pool, which is in the Hebrew tongue called Bethesda, having five porches. In these lay a great multitude of impotent folk, of blind, halt, withered, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at certain seasons into the pool and troubled the water. 
Whosoever then first, after the troubling of the water, stepped in, was made whole of whatsoever disease he had. And a certain man was there, which had an infirmity, thirty and eight years. Thirty-eight years. When Jesus saw him lie and knew that he had now become, now been there a long time, in that case he saith unto him, Wilt thou be made whole? The impotent man answered and said, Sir, I have no man when the water is troubled to put me in the pool. But, I am, but while I am coming, another steppeth down before me. He didn't say, yes, I want to be made whole. He said, but I don't have any man. Jesus saith unto him, rise and take up thy bed and walk. And immediately the man was made whole and took up his bed and walked. And on the same day was the Sabbath. So here we have a man who had a disease that crippled him. And he had been lying by this pool for 38 years. 38 years. He was waiting by the pool in hopes that somebody would assist him in getting into the pool first when, when the angel moved on the water. He had no other options, so he waited at the pool. And what I found oddly interesting about the interaction that Jesus had with this man is he asked the man a question to which the answer should have been obvious. You want to be made whole? The man didn't answer yes. He explained to Jesus why he can't be. Did he have the determination that he needed? You know, I, I, I wonder, could it be that Jesus asked what would seem to be an obvious answer? He asked this question, and it just wasn't so obvious. I submit to you that perhaps Jesus had insight here that no other person would see, that we would miss. Could it be that this man had become comfortable alongside the pool after 38 years? In the midst of, of people who were also waiting for the moving of the waters and perhaps those who had left healed many a times, he believed and he knew it could change his life. But did he really want to change? Did he want to take the necessary steps? I, I know this is probably challenging your thinking today, but after 38 years, I don't care what your circumstances are, you can get comfortable. And if we were honest today, we would say that over the last two years, just about two years through this pandemic, that although it was shocking and some of the things that we didn't want to do, some of the alignment that we had to make for the standards and restrictions and all the things that were in place, you know, they were so shocking in the beginning, but we got a little comfortable with it. Could it be that after 38 years, this man had just become accustomed to life? By the pool? Was he ready to take on new life, new circumstances? Was he really ready to step outside his comfort zone into a world that he knew very little about? I want you to take yourself back 40 years. Life's different. Was there some trepidation there? Did he have the determination he needed to take action? In a, in a situation that seems so obvious, Jesus asked the question, do you really want to change? Are you willing to take the steps to change? And so this morning, somebody's here and they may be thinking differently. Perhaps someone's feeling inspired and God's, weaking, God's word is speaking the need for change into someone's life. Perhaps somebody's feeling the need to make choices to change their future and someone's considering the possibility of just taking a step outside their comfort zone. 
God's asking the obvious question today. Do you really want to change? Are you really ready to take action? It might be uncomfortable and not what you're used to, but do you want to change today? I can tell you I don't want to be the rich young ruler who had every intention to change but was unwilling to take the risk. I want to have a determination to make the choice, to stand up and to do something different. Napoleon Hill said this, whatever the mind can conceive and believe, the mind can achieve, regardless of how many times you may have failed in the past or how lofty your aims and hopes may be. If we could have the music come back this morning. As I close today, I want to I share a story with you. You can throw up that first slide. Back in 1883, a visionary and engineer by the name of John Roebling, he had a big vision. Anybody ever hear of John Roebling? A couple people. All right. Some people play Trivia Pursuit here. He wanted to build something really big, something spectacular that had never been done before. He wanted to build a bridge between New York and Long Island. Now, everyone told him it was foolish. Something like this has never been done before. He should give up on his crazy idea, and it was impossible to do something like that. Roebling couldn't. He couldn't give up. He was bound and determined to realize his vision, and so he set out to look for some influential people to buy into his dream, and finally he recruited his son Washington, who was an up-and-coming engineer. We can do it. Let's build the bridge. They found the capital needed and they started building the bridge, but only a few months into it, there was a terrible accident on the bridge during the construction, which resulted in the loss of life, and John Roebling was one of them. He lost his life to his son and left his son Washington with brain damage in a hospital bed. Now all the media and the employers, when they realized, you know, Washington couldn't talk, he, he couldn't move, he couldn't do anything more than move his fingers on his left hand. They said, see, we told you it couldn't be done. You should have listened to us. There's no way. Why are you doing this? People lost their jobs, people lost their money, and now there's no bridge. And laying there in his hospital bed, Washington wasn't about to give up more than just thinking differently. As a sudden flash of light came through the window, as the story tells, he took it as a sign, and all his determination came back. He says, I have hope. I have vision. I can do this. If you want to put up the next slide. While his body wasn't working, his mind still was sharp as ever. His beautiful wife was by his side and supported him through these moments of terrible hardship. And Washington said, I'm actually going to go through with this. I'm going to finish this bridge. So since he could only move the fingers on his left hand, he developed a communication code to express every single idea in his mind to his wife so that she could understand. Why don't you throw up a picture of that bridge? Because in the end... He finished the bridge. It's today known as the Brooklyn Bridge. Why don't we stand together this morning? There is a certain 
and definite difference between thinking differently and acting differently. And in the presence of God, it is so easy once you submit to Him to be inspired, to feel like you can go and change the world. But when you walk through those doors at the back of the sanctuary, things get real practical. Perhaps you don't feel God just the way you did when you leave. Now, there's a practical piece of living for God that is absolutely essential to growing with Him and having continuous and sustained growth. I wonder if we have someone here today or perhaps someone watching online who, like Washington, set out to do something great. Someone who attempted significant change, but perhaps memories of past failures and roadblocks have allowed you to slip into a state of mediocrity. And without really knowing it, you've become content with where you are, become complacent, no longer on a mission to change. Let the words of Paul ring in your ears today. For when I fall, I will arise. Nothing can keep me down. We sang it this morning, and I knew as soon as you opened with it, sister, greater. Our God is greater. Greater is he who is in me than he that's in the world. We've been given power to activate change, but realizing we have it is not enough. We must stand upon the word of God and his promises and act differently. The challenge is here this morning. Somebody take action. No doubt everybody in this place has been challenged in their thinking, but will you take action? God's looking for somebody to stand up and stand out and act differently. We're going to open this altar this morning. and As you come, I wonder if, if we have a David here this morning knows God's word, have a made-up mind, and they would stand up to that Goliath in your life. More than just words, more than just thinking, but a belief that God's going to stand alongside me. Perhaps there's a, a young person here today who's, who's going to take a step out in faith. And when it's unpopular... And when things get tough and there's some ridicule, ridicule, they say, I know my faith is in Jesus Christ and he doesn't fail. There's nothing too hard for God. You can put that aside right now. You may have failed, but when you put your plans in the master's hands, he can take care of you. He can see you through. There is nothing that can be withheld from you if you'd line your thinking with God and take a step in faith this morning. I wonder if we have a Zacchaeus here today. Maybe you haven't always done the right thing, but you're willing to say, I don't care what my past failures have been. I'm going to take, I'm going to step out. I'm going to step up. I'm going to climb on that mountain. I'm going to, I'm going to be seen of men. Why? Because I need change in my life and I'm inviting Jesus into my home. I'm, in, I'm inviting Jesus into my mind. God has birthed in someone a desire to do more for him this morning. 
You felt it before and you dismissed it when you walked out of these doors. But today, you need to believe that these feelings that you have for God, that they are inspired by Him and there is nobody that can stop you when you align with God. Thank you for joining us today. If you want more information, connect with us on our website at missionpoint.ca. God bless you.